Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth-65, also known as Spider-Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen-65. I'm Pex. And I'm Abigail. So for this episode's Week 1 update, we kind of have a little bit of a bummer news for you guys, so... As expected before, Gwenverse number one was supposed to be released on February 9th of this year, but unfortunately, it got delayed by a month, so now it's going to be releasing on March 9th, which causes a domino effect for issue number two, which is now going to be released April 13th rather than March 23rd as previously solicited. Yeah, this uh, this, this pushes back... Uh, the timeline of things and the part that I'm truly distraught um, for is the fact that we uh, now have to fill that space by continuing um, our review of Spider-Gwen side comics, which would normally be fine. But this means that instead of missing it out and going to reviewing Gwenverse, we're going to be reviewing Nick Spencer's uh, Last Remains event from the Amazing Spider-Man run that he did, um, which, which I, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And um, I, you know, I said that I spoke uh, that that Marvel did this specifically for me. That they specifically made Gwenverse so that I didn't have to review Last Remains on the podcast. But I'm afraid that something something must have gone wrong somewhere. Maybe they saw all of the things that I said about Dan Slot. Maybe that was it. Uh, but um, whatever happened, uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to be doing that now. You think that they did this despite you? I don't know, maybe. Um, either way, everybody will get to hear my pain over the next few months until Gwenverse comes out. But when you think about it, uh, when it's here, you know, we might as well just rip off the Band-Aid. Well, actually, we're going to be ripping off three Band-Aids because this will take us three episodes to cover. A lot of Band-Aids. It's more like, it's more like amputating a limb, I think. Um... That's, 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 the, <laughs> that's the medical metaphor. That just got dark. Depends on which limb. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, just just in terms of, um, you know, obviously getting the painful thing over and done with is a. I I hear the ripping off the band aid thing, but I think medically speaking, it, it feels more severe than that. You see, so it's you know, I'm losing an arm or a leg here. Well, the official story that I'm going with is that everyone must have ordered Gwenverse number one. A lot of people, so they needed more paper just to print more Gwenverse number ones, and that's what caused the delay. It's just like with Venom number two hundred. Yeah, they they weren't they weren't braced for the sheer amount of ghost spider groupies. They they were overwhelmed by our sheer amount of pre-orders for the Tim Seeley written Spider Gwen Gwenverse event slash miniseries thing. But I guess the only light in this darkness is that in Marvel Unlimited's Infinity comic, the one called Infinite Possibilities Number One. It actually teased which characters may or may not be getting an Infinity comic. And it turns out that Gwen was featured in the comic, so maybe we might get an Infinity comic from her somewhere down the line? I like that. So uh, for those who don't know, uh, the Infinity comics are these little uh, scrolling, uh, like like with Webtoon, um, that is the same thing. It's like a scrolling comic that's sort of made to be viewed on a phone. Um, so you sort of have a panel, and then you scroll down a bit further, um, and then you have another panel, and and it's and it's it's the lay the, the layout of the comic is built for that, um, and it comes with um, and is released pretty much exclusively on the Marvel Unlimited 
um, service. So uh, that's a subscription-based service which gives you access to uh, Marvel Comics, uh, digital Marvel Comics, uh, which is actually is very cost-effective, actually. We recommend reading all of the stuff here it's the cheapest legal way to read all of the stuff that we read on this co- on this podcast so um yeah if you're not already subscribed to it uh we will let you know uh if there is a ghost spider infinity comic dropping on there so that you can take a look at it because it looks you know I'd, I, I'd like that i'd really like that actually i'd probably be more excited for that than the gwenverse event right now I think. <laughs> but uh keeping in mind that all of these infinity comics their series either tend to be minis or maxis or like at the very least, just a one shot. But I think chances are this might be a mini. Yeah. Also, several are very uncanonical as well. Like they don't line up with six one six continuity, even though they will borrow a lot from uh, the the established and especially more recent status quos. They tend they tend to play pretty fast and loose with the law. So don't expect um, any sequels to Gwen and versus Carnage. But uh, do keep your eyes peeled because I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be it'll be fun and good. I'm I've got a I've got a good feeling about a Ghost Spider Infinity comic. Same here. I'm just thirsty, or is it hungry? I don't know for Ghost Spider content at this point. Well, canonically speaking, but I'll just take anything. Yeah. Um. It's it's yeah. Really, just as Spider Gwen fans, we've been underfed for so long that uh, even though we do know that stuff is coming down the pipeline, we're still sort of in that state. Um, <laughs> you know, um, it's, I think things things are still pretty rough. Yeah, because just think about it, the gap between Gwen versus Carnage number three and Gwen versus number one, it's a year and six days. A year and six days without... That's a, it, is, it is a really long time. That will be the longest stretch of time, right, since her creation. It has to be. Um so yeah yeah so i'm just wondering if uh hopefully tim seeley acknowledges the end of gwenham versus carnage i hope that yeah I, I hope it maintains uh some sort of logical consistency with with her previous stuff that's going on and we've iterate we've reiterated that a few times that really uh spider gwen gwenverse clearly is doing something very different from what perhaps we, we would have expected following um, the end of Gwen versus Conjure. And I, and I do think it could map onto what was happening there, especially with Gwen being trapped on 616. But uh, I guess we'll see. I guess I guess we'll find out and we'll see what blessings or potentially curses Tim Seeley has wrought upon our fave. Anyway, enough about us blathering about our pain. Let's move on to what we're here really here for. Yeah, we are doing a very good event called Spider-Geddon. This is, this is good stuff. We're, we've been reading through uh, Spider-Gwen's side stories, events, and crossovers, where she's sort of a, an active participant, uh, part of the main cast. Um, we've done a few now. We've done, yeah, we've done a bunch. Um, and we sort of, we've, we've read through just read through the clone conspiracy event which was written by dan slot um and it was all about spider-man's friends and enemies being brought back to life and gwen showed up in that uh and she had a fun part to play um and this is a sort of a sequel to that as well as the initial spider-verse event which it also this is all sort of part of i guess a sort of era of spider comics where there was a lot of multi-dimensional stuff going on um and all of the big events kind of i say all of them a lot of the big events tend to 
tended to lean towards being quite interdimensional. And they had this sort of status quo with Loom World and the Web Warriors, which is the spider team that we've also read through the comics for. Um, and this all sort of, it's all part of that sort of, that continuity and spider again picks up that and it ends it so um we're going to be reading that it's been it's written by christos gage primarily with art by uh jorge molina um as well as art appearances uh from clayton crane uh colaba berry i think i saw some uh yeah, all of the uh, plethora of artists, it goes from Clayton Crane, who did the number zero issue. Carlo Barberi, as you mentioned earlier, he did number three primarily and then went as backup on numbers four to five. And then Todd Nock was uh, Barberi's partner in number three, also as a backup. And in number five, there's uh, some assistance with Stefano Caselli with Joey Vasquez as backup. Yes, those names. Um, also, I, I tell you who it was. I was looking for Javier Garon. Oh yeah, the, yeah, for the B story, right? Yes, the B story in issue number zero. I was looking at it. I was going, "This is Javier Garon's art," um, and I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting Clayton Crane or Todd Nork. Um, these are some. These are some. These are some good artists, folks. These are some good artists, folks. As, I mean, Jorge Molina alone is good artist. Isn't Jorge Molina on uh, Batman right now? Is he on Batman? Might be wrong. I'm not sure if it's him or another Jorge, but I do remember Jorge Molina primarily doing the covers for the first five issues of Ghost Spider. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Those covers had issues where his art doesn't... His Yeah, the, the art here is uh, is good. It doesn't have weird continuity errors like the stuff he did for Ghost Spider. Uh, but I don't think that was his fault. Um, I'm just looking at it now. I do think here's the problem. They should really list artists' names up front so I don't have to click through as much stuff. Yeah, Jorge Molina is the current main artist on the Batman run, starting with Joshua Williamson. Um, so yeah, he's a big name. He's gone on to do big things, is doing big things rather. Um, and and you can, and, and I guess this was a big thing really as well. Uh, yeah, he's a good artist. It's good art. I enjoy it interesting jorge molina first he did the spider family now he's doing the bat family yeah he's bounced he's gone to the distinguished competition uh and uh yeah that's um but yeah good for him good for him getting work love to see it and what else here so spider Gaiden is an event book so there's a lot of stuff it's tying into we've actually read some of it here on the podcast we did an episode uh we actually had Anne, uh the twitter user Anne talks comics so she does lots of cool things um which she guests appeared for us and we did a we did the tie-in issues for spider gwen to this event um and you can go and listen to that they sort of take place in the middle uh sort of like yeah, I think how we would recommend reading it is read Spider Geddon number one to two, and then you can just read Spider Gwen Ghost Spider numbers one through three, and then mm-hmm. just read the rest of Spider Geddon, and then finish it off with number four of Spider Gwen Ghost Spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, so Spider Gwen Ghost Spider uh, takes place mostly in the beginning, except for that issue number four, uh, which is is a it's a eulogy, right? Like as an out, like the aftermath, it's, it's all talk, no, no fighting or anything. It's um, it's it's a very sad. It's very very good. One of my favorite issues of Spider Gwen, actually. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and, and I do actually like. I do like this event quite a bit. It's fun. It's good. Um, and we're gonna get into it now. So yeah, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do a synopsis. We get to start oh, a synopsis. But first, should we mention what other books they tie into, just in case if everyone else wants to read the entire event? 
Yes, I knew I was missing something. Yes, we should do that. Yeah, so along with Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider, obviously, this also ties in with, uh, brace yourself, Superior Octopus number one, Spider-Force, Spider-Girls, Vault of Spiders, and Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man numbers 311 to 313. Nice. So good. So good stuff. So very good stuff. Um, Superior Octopus. I I love the Superior Octopus status quo. There's something about it. Um, the bit where he's a Hydra agent, I didn't enjoy during the Secret Empire stuff. But but outside of that, I really enjoy the status quo of Rato. Um And he gets a whole issue with it. So you get to read that. Um, Spider-Force is the one with Jessica Drew, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider-Girls is... Yeah, yeah, is the Anya Karazan and Mayday Park and Anime. Yeah, Anya, Mayday, and Annie. Yeah, and Vault of Spiders is uh that's some that's some side stories. There's also Edge of Spider Geddon, uh, which is a sort of similar mini series. Actually similar to the Edge of Spider-Verse one which introduced Gwen. That that ties in as well, right? Yep. Yeah, there's um and Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider Man. So what what was going on there was um Chip Zdarsky was writing like a secondary ongoing Spider Man book, right, at the time? Yeah, that was supposed to uh, take place before the events of Fall of Parker. And then after that whole storyline, I think the book switched writers to uh, Sean Ryan. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, there's that book. And that's that's essentially like, that's an extended duel between Peter and Morlin, right? That's what that book is. The, the, the tie-in issues, rather, to this. Yeah, it shows what Peter was doing like while the other spiders were busy doing all of that stuff. Yes, exactly. So, uh, what we're reading though uh, for this particular episode, you don't need to read any of any of those things. Actually, no, you probably do read Spider Gwen Goes Spider Number Ones, but that's that's its own episode. Um, uh, we're, today we're reading just Spider Geddon issues number zero to number five, the whole sort of uh, event title, um, and we're going to synopsize it, uh, which sort of provides a really good summary if we're all on the same page. If it's been a while since we've read it, um, we're going to put links in the description to a reading list for Gwen, which includes a little bit about stuff like Marvel Unlimited and places where you can buy comic books so you know where to buy them. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, make sure you've read Spider-Geddon and uh, we're going to get into the synopsis now and we'll get into our review. All right. Okay. Uh, Pavati Aprabhakar coordinates surveillance of the inheritors, spider totem-eating immortal vampires in their radioactive prison reality from the safety of Loomworld by using remote-controlled spider drones. The Inheritors destroy and dismantle the drones, but before their end, enough video is sent back for Pavatia to observe that the vampires are wasting away without their diet of spider-powered heroes. However, the continued supply of broken parts provides the Inheritors with a new chance to scheme to get out. On Earth-616, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, dispatches a small-time supervillain team, the Vulturians, with relative ease before a portal opens up above him. Enter the Web Warriors, Spider-UK, Octavia Otto, Spider-Woman, the Mayday Parker of Earth-982, Spider-Ham, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Punk, and Spider-Man Noir. Miles panics seeing this many spiders together at once, as the last time this occurred, it was during the first Spider-Verse event where they had to fight the Inheritors. Gwen reassures Miles that the Inheritors haven't escaped yet, but that their technology is active and they would like his assistance in stopping whoever is using it. Cut to Otto Octavius in San Francisco. 
the superior octopus, fighting Count Nefaria, an immortal magician and the city's most prominent gangster. He gets the supervillain to leave the city by threatening to kill his family. Otto returns to his base where he is combining the cloning technology of the Jackal of the Inheritor's technology and modifying it to his own processes. He plans to have an infinite supply of bodies to back up to. Otto is creating his own immortality. Outside, the web warriors, with Miles accompanying them now, arrive. With Spider-UK's strength, they break into the building and find Otto's cloning tubes. They identify them as the inheritor technology that needs to be destroyed, but Otto strikes back, webbing several of them up. Miles and Gwen try to convince him of the immediate need to destroy the tubes, as the inheritors could use them to come back at any moment, but Otto insists that his process is exclusive to him, and this is not a worry. The die is cast, and they fight, Otto holding them back from the tubes. Octavia taps into Otto's systems to get a readout on the status of the cloning tubes, and quickly identifies that they are reading out old data. Otto's confidence falters for the first time as the cloning tech displays an alert reading, uncontrolled mutation. Spider-Noir rushes at the tubes to destroy them now, but a clawed hand smashes out of the vat, grabbing him by the head. Moreland has returned and kills Noir, absorbing his life force. The spiders prioritize their efforts on attacking the inheritor, beating him down. Spider-UK takes the lead, committing to end Moreland's life, keeping everyone back. Before UK can finish the job, however, Verna, also newly resurrected, launches from the tubes and snaps his neck in a completely surprised move. Genix, too, returns and snaps the octopus arms off Otto's suit. Morland states his desire to kill the Peter Parker of 616 to the amusement of his siblings. Otto laments his actions seeing the three inheritors return to life because of his recklessness. Morland runs off to settle his vendetta. Genix begins using the remaining cloning tubes to bring back more inheritors, while Verna keeps the remaining spiders occupied. Otto and Octavia set the self-destruct sequence for the facility and the spiders retreat, except for Gwen who stays behind to stop Verna from following. Verna and Gwen fight and struggle. The inheritors spotting the value in the spiders' web watches and desiring them to travel the multiverse once more. Verna begins to sap Gwen's life force, but she strikes out with her symbiote, interrupting the process. Before their fight can go any further, the facility detonates. The spiders watch the building explode from afar, with Miles distraught seeing that Gwen has yet to appear, and furious with Otto for his callousness to the situation. Before they can argue though, Octobots elsewhere in the city spot the inheritors. Not only did they survive the explosion, but they managed to successfully clone their siblings before the blast, and Verna now sports Gwen's web watch. Upon seeing this, the team believes Gwen to be dead. However, the inheritors are yet to bring back their father Solus. He remains dormant, his soul still contained in a pre-cloning crystal after his death during the original Spider-Verse event at the hands of Cain. Verna vows to retrieve it. With the destruction of Otto's cloning facility, the inheritors head out to the Jackal's derelict New U facility to rebuild their old cloning process that granted them infinite resurrections, desiring to make 616 their new base. The remaining spiders regroup on Loomworld and discuss the next course of action. Miles, Mayday, and Ham want to bring in Peter Parker, Jessica Drew, and Anya Corazon to their experience and reinforcements in taking down the inheritors. But the Doctor Octopi and Spider-Punk think they should find different allies this time that will be willing to kill the inheritors once and for all. 
Karn advises the two groups to put aside arguing and set out to do their respective plans separately so no time is wasted. Following the damage the superior octopus suit took in the fight with the inheritors, Otto changes back into his superior Spider-Man outfit. Otto travels to Earth 1048, the reality we know for its appearance in the Spider-Man PlayStation games, and assists the Spider-Man there in defeating a robotic armed villain, the Tarantula, to recruit him into the Spider-Army. He reveals his identity as Otto Octavius, and the two encourage one another after discussing the tragic fate of this reality's Dr. Octopus. Otto also recruits Kane to his team, who is more than willing to kill the Inheritors. He offers to bring in Ben Riley, who is now the Scarlet Spider once more, but Otto refuses, blaming Ben's technology from his time as the Jackal for bringing them to this point. After the spiders disperse from Loomworld, Verna reveals herself, still on the hunt for Solus's crystal. The two fight, Khan winning and running his estranged sister through with one of his mechanical legs. But his moment of triumph leaves him vulnerable, and she absorbs his life force. As keeper of the web of life and destiny, Khan became a spider totem himself, which left him open to Verna's life force absorption. It is revealed that Gwen did not, in fact, die in the destruction of Otto's cloning facility, but that in the struggle with Verna, her web watch teleported her to Earth 3109 as it was stolen from her. She is stranded there. At this point, you can listen to our Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider, Spider-Geddon tie-in for Gwen's perspective from here. Otto and Spider-Man 1048 recruits Takuya Yamashiro, the Spider-Man of Earth 51778, and the pilots of the giant robot Lepardon. Spiders Man, thousands of spiders that act and believe that they are Peter Parker of Earth 11580, Web Slinger of Earth 31913, and the Norman Osborn of Earth 44145, who became Spider Man there. In the meantime, they've dispatched a team led by Kane to prevent Verna from retrieving Solus's crystal. Meanwhile, Miles and his team have recruited Spider-Man and Spinneret from Earth 18119, Spider-Ben and Petey from Earth 91918, SPDR from Earth 14512, and Silk from 616. It's noted that Peter Parker 616 is facing down Moreland single-handedly, while Anya Corazon, Mayday Parker, and now with Anna May Parker, the Spiderling, daughter of the spiders from Earth 18119. Plot of numbers. Ben Riley reveals his presence among Otto's spider army to him. Otto is dismayed by Ben and says that he's trying to do the right thing now and makes an appeal to Otto's proclivity for redemption. The superior Spider-Man reluctantly acquiesces and Ben joins the team. Right after this happens, Miles calls to inform them that they are attacking the inheritor's position at New U and that Otto and his team are welcome to join, but Otto refuses. At New Yu, the Inheritors have successfully cloned Solus's body, but still lack his soul trapped in the crystal still elsewhere. Genix struggles to get much results from the rest of the cloning technology. The Inheritors remain much vulnerable. Miles's spider team has planted explosive charges around the facility, but before they can make their escape, they are spotted by the Inheritors and a fight ensues. The team find themselves locked into battle, and Miles gives the call to detonate the charges prematurely while they remain in the facility still. Right before this can happen though, Lepardon cuts into the building, allowing for the surprise arrival of Otto's team. They fend off the inheritors, allowing time for Ben to brick his old cloning technology and for everyone to retreat on board Lepardon. 
In secret, Norman and Spider's man conspired to quarantine Earth-616 from the rest of the multiverse so that the Inheritors won't be able to wreak havoc on any other realities. Incidentally, the two fall out with the other spiders and are expelled by both groups. Still on board Leopardon, Miles and Otto agree to compromise and start working together. They plan to bring in new spiders, while Otto forms a plan to exploit the Inheritors' weaknesses. Spider-Woman Jessica Drew exits a portal having retrieved the Solus Crystal, but is soon apprehended by the Inheritors. They take the crystal, but are unable to absorb Jess's life force as it is too radioactive for them to consume. Using the crystal, they bring Solus back to life. Spiders Man and Norman have made their way to Loom World where they continue to discuss the plan to isolate Earth 616. Spiders Man considered that they could one day find a way out, so Norman decides that they should destroy the web of life and destiny totally, so that won't be a possibility. Otto and Ben silently split off from the group to confront the Inheritors themselves, but Otto stabs Ben in the back and hands him over in exchange for the Inheritors, vowing to spare Earth 616. Meanwhile, the Spider Army's knowledge of the Enigma Force from the late Captain Universe of Earth-13, the Peter Parker who died at Solus's hands in the original Spider-Verse event, has proven to be useful. They successfully mapped the Enigma Force's signature and summoned it face-to-face with Miles. The Enigma Force questions its summoning and the worthiness of the spiders present. Pavateer, Peter, 18119, and Octavia feel guilt-ridden by their mistakes, but Miles antagonizes it with a speech about the meaning of worthiness, seemingly to the ire of the Cosmic Force. Back at New Yu, Spidey1048 catches up to Otto and attacks him for his betrayal as Genix drains Ben of his life force. However, this has a negative effect on the Inheritor as he experiences the memories of Ben's repeated deaths. Ark reveals that this was a ruse between him and Ben in order to damage Genix's mind. Their conversation is cut short when the Inheritors spot them and proceed to attack. Solus tells his children to step aside, and before delivering a killing blow, he is struck by a cosmic blast from Miles, now bonded to the Enigma Force. Solus and Miles duke it out as Takuya makes his way to the building in the ship, but Deimos intercepts him. Penny rushes to the rescue. Meanwhile, Ock and Octavia step out of the brawl into the lab to free Jess from stasis and revive Ben. Ock reevaluates the situation regarding the spider's morals in dealing with the inheritors and asks Octavia for her assistance in his new plan. As the fight rages on, the Watson Parker share a moment of sentiment when Annie, Anya, and Mayday suddenly arrived. The Spider-Girls reveal that they have made a pit stop to Loom World, and Annie is a prophesized pattern maker. They use the web strand to create armor for themselves and fend off Bora and Bricks. The Inheritors begin to overwhelm the spiders, and as Mile laments using more time for recruitment, Spider-Gwen arrives through a portal in the nick of time, bringing with her Peter Parker, Kane, and numerous other spiders. Miles wonders if it's really her and not a ghost, Gwen confirming she's real, and decides to rechristen herself as Ghost Spider. Solus chides Miles for letting his emotions drive him, but he rebukes Solus's claim along with another cosmic blast. Peter616 asks Miles how he could be of service, the latter telling the former to go find Doc Ock. Pete arrives at the lab baffled at Ben and Ock working together, Ben clarifying that his latest death and revival restored him to factory settings. Ock tells Pete that he can convince the other spiders to listen to him as he presents a new plan to defeat the Inheritors. 
Pete radios to spiders to follow Ox lead. Miles is confused by the tactic, but Annie tells him that things will work out as Solus is intrigued by her pattern maker status. Before he can think, Solus is killed by a sword vigor from Miles. His children attempt to attack Miles for his murder, but Miles blasts them all as the spiders begin to dogpile the inheritors. A while later, Ock finally explains his plan, transferring the inheritor's consciousness into another set of clone bodies as they have done in the past. The tubes open to reveal baby versions of the inheritors. Octavia explains that Solus forcibly instilled the hunger into his children and she restored them into normal people, free of his influence and past memories. As the spiders debate who's going to raise the inheritors, Spider-Ma'am, a spider-powered version of Aunt May, volunteers to adopt them. The Enigma Force leaves Miles as Gwen opens the portals to return everyone to their respective realities. As Mayday questions the absence of the other, Annie tells her that it's still out there, and has the feeling that it's someone close to Mayday. On Earth-982, that native Peter Parker's hand bursts from his grave. As the 616 spiders are left, they give Ock their best wishes as they leave the facility. Meanwhile, Norman studies the web strand he stole. And this has been Spider Geddon! That's just me trying to sound metal. No, it is metal. It is metal. It's a metal event. It's a good event. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a good time. Even though it does seem like, well, how we read it seemed like a doozy, it really is a lot to take in. Yeah, there's a lot going off in the background, I guess. It, it definitely is It definitely is an event made by the committee. Um, I will say that about it. You can tell that they kind of sat around a room and said, who's going to do this and who's going to do that and who's who's going to die and stuff. Um, and you do sort of get that sense from um, from reading it. That, you know, obviously, Chris Gage is the writer, but, but there's a lot of um, other writers in the room who are working on their respective tie-ins and and editors with input and stuff yeah it's uh but, but it came out well it came out okay yeah but just be thankful that we didn't cover the entire event otherwise we'll be here for at least three days yeah yeah it's uh it's expansive yeah it's um yeah even yeah there's a, there's a, yeah there's a lot of i mean we cut we, yeah yeah we went over yeah. what there was earlier but yeah it's um yeah we weren't we weren't going to do all of the other little bits we're just going to do the stuff we're going in yeah, although um, back in the day when this was released, I actually bought every single floppy of Spider Gun except for a Spectacular. Oh no way! Yeah, it's um, I guess it must have been fun at the time to experience. Yeah, but it only um was covering what Pete was doing with Morlin, so I didn't think that was important. What Morlin is the OG inheritor. He is the um, yeah these these other these other guys came after him. You know, initially it was just Morlin who had just a very specific beef with Peter Parker. He was just, he was really upset with Peter Parker. And I feel like having him go off and just fight Peter Parker on his own is, is very much true to the, the, the OG Morlin. Like, I guess it was because Spectacular wasn't on my pull list at the time. I was only doing Nick Spencer's Amazing. Right. Gotcha. So it wasn't on my pull, but anyway, say la vie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, one of those things. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of characters in this, and a lot of characters making decisions, which I think are quite interesting. We've got, of course, our girl, Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider, um, and while she does jump off over into her own tie-in, she does get quite a bit to do here, all things considered. Yeah, I just want to say the first thing to acknowledge is that Christos Gage remembered that Gwen was bonded to a symbiote at the end of Latour's run. 
Yeah, yeah, he did. He, he, there's a couple of moments where like characters of, are in sort of real tight spots, and he uses the fact that like they have a specific detail about them to get them out of it. Uh, um, obviously, with Jessica Drew, it's you know she's super radioactive, but but here, yeah, like he's red, uh, fresh off the end of the original Spider Gwen ongoing comic. Uh, that Gwen has a symbiote and there's this really really cool moment where you think that Gwen has been uh, been sort of is kind of dead to rights captured by Werner and whatever and is, is going to die and then the symbiote lashes out and it looks really cool and makes me wish we saw that kind of stuff from Gwen more often to be honest well we do see that stuff more often during party people we do now we do now it only took uh, three years from this event for them to get there but but eventually they saw the vision um and then they cancelled the book so um yeah but no i i I thought it was a really interesting use and also like that whole fight is quite interesting that gwen like is willing to sacrifice us well at least willing to be like the last last person they're defending um while the others retreat it was very noble um it feels like the kind of thing that gwen would do as well i enjoyed that moment I feel like that Christos Gage has a very different voice than from what Latour, Costa, Slot, and uh, I think he's probably a bit closer to Maguire in close in terms of characterization. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess same era, right? Uh, but but also like I think he has less time to actually play with her voice and and really flesh her out within this event compared to what those other people. I, I mean, compared to what like what. Dan Slott was doing with Gwen in the clone conspiracy. He doesn't get as many moments to to give his zingers and stuff. Yeah, because Gwen only appears fifty percent of the time. Because this is six issues, we're including the zero. Gwen only appears in fifty percent of them, which is three issues. And uh, yeah, even though Spider Geddon is kind of considered the uh, Miles Gwen and Auto Show, excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Gwen's probably. Like, um a support like a main supporting character does that make sense like miles and Otto, they're the main protagonists and then gwen is secondary yeah uh gwen is yeah because she's sort of absorbed by her own tie and stuff like peter parker in this event she's sort of you like you say secondary yeah and, and it is quite interesting that miles and otto are the two sort of main characters of spider-geddon um i enjoy that choice i guess pete got the first one so he did get the first one but it's a miracle when there is any spider event which doesn't censor peter parker i am you know like just on that alone spider-geddon earns so many points in my eyes because it feels so fresh and different and it's able to focus on different characters freely without having to make some point about peter parker being the chosen one and i just i enjoy it for that well it's probably because at this point like pete knows that um he doesn't need to be leader because you know who died and made him leader back then in spider-verse mm, yeah i mean to be fair yeah a lot of people did die but i again like they they had a weird like system where they jeweled and fought for who should be the leader of the spider people in spider-verse which i, I like like ideologically thought was a, a very strange thing for a spider comic to advocate for um uh, but in spider-geddon it's a lot nicer they, they 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 try and meaningfully think about um like the uh sort of more moral questions and in particular how they want to run um their sort of respective spider teams that are going on they have a lot of moments where it's clear that like 
uh, Otto and Miles have to like win over their respective people and 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 like earn their trust and do, and do different things and, and make decisions and 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 it's all affected like there's no chosen one stuff like these are just two people who have come to the fore like um and, and just happen to be like the representatives of their respective groups which I find was quite interesting um and you can see where ego comes in and and leaves and stuff yeah just think of this as an a spider civil war except you know um way less people died which reminds me uh casualty report cue the memorial music okay uh we got spider-man noir spider uk and then karn day dead and then on the villain side we got verna and solace but uh let's not talk about them right now the spiders are more important people yeah, I think after seeing this, I guess the web of life and destiny can be counted on on the memorial, at least temporarily. I guess I guess, I guess all the most of the deaths here are temporary, um, but but by and large, yeah, you can see how Spider Geddon is a sort of end to the kind of world that was set up uh, in Spider Verse that was built on in in Web Warriors and Clone Conspiracy um, and the the Amazing Spider Man book. Um, you you can sort of see how Spider Geddon is ending that, you know, like Gloom World, like the Web Warriors because because two of them die right so and khan dies right he, he's a big part of it they sort of stop being a thing after this point at least not until jed mckay wrote uh his take on spider-verse yeah and and even then that felt very isolated because it was an anthology like they had a bunch of writers a bunch of different characters and they kind of like they kind of it's the the like this stuff is still around in that but they haven't fully re-established it and that's the sense you get from that Spider-Verse event. Um and, and in here you do you do get the vibe that like that yeah, that it's sort of all it all it is all sort of coming down around them. It comes over more, I think, in the in the tie in uh, in Spider Gwen Ghost Spider number four. It comes over more in that, I think, which which really leans on like what the consequences are of this. Because with the web of life and destiny sabotaged, with Khan dead, you have a much reduced capacity for interdimensional shenanigans which have been happening so often so frequently actually at this point you know gwen's the only one who can cross dimensions freely just because of her ticket so it seems like Mm -hmm. if the other spiders want to travel the multiverse what do they just hit her up on the phone and say hey i need you to come get your ticket and come get me yeah and and i get and they can't really do that though like this is the thing like it's only if she happens to come into their dimension that they'd be able to talk to gwen obviously gwen could go to anybody who she wants to go to but um if somebody specifically wants gwen's help they have to hope that she pops by uh which she doesn't like she she kind of stays in her own dimension anyway for the most part and obviously she does that whole thing where she you know she'll let people know if somebody's died um that there is that aspect in in the in that particular tie-in as well Uh, but yeah but by and large like interdimensional travel is sort of coming to an end here and and the damage done during spider geddon i I guess kind of sort of is still the status quo um they're they're repairing it obviously in that spider-verse um series but, but we we're not seeing this kind of stuff anymore and this is sort of the end of what we've been reading um and spider geddon is drawing on a lot of it like it uses the web warriors it uses the clone conspiracy and new you and jackal um or rather ben riley sorry um and it uses the stuff that happened in spider-verse it's using all of these different events and series and stuff which we're using the interdimensional status quo and it's wrapping them all up in a bow and and blowing it up and uh, earlier back with uh 
Gwen, you know, this is the first acknowledgement that we do get her change her name to Ghost Spider, although she doesn't officially adopt it until the end of Impossible Year. Yeah, it's um it, it it's it's strange moments because obviously the Ghost Spider rename, I think for us as as Ghost Spider readers, is we would think of Spider Gwen Ghost Spider number ten, where after multiple issues of her deliberating on it is sort of forced into a position where she needs to come up with a new code name and so she does and that's the moment where she decides on it but in here because obviously this is a decision which has been handed on to the writers um in here we have this moment where where gwen has a has a different moment where she decides to be called ghost spider um which you know uh, is is not is not as good is kind of just out of left field just because miles asks her if uh, she's a ghost or not and then she's like, ooh, I like the sound of that ghost spider. Yeah, super weird. Um, because then, of course, she goes back to her main comics and she's not calling herself ghost spider. Um, so, like, it's it's hard to look at that moment as being canonical, although it is. I guess it's just to differentiate her from the other women who are called spider woman because uh, you. it's just like what Maguire said in our interview. If you yell out spider woman... To anyone who's named Spider Woman, half of half of the team is just gonna go down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's confusing. Which is why, even when yeah, like even when she's called Spider Woman, the 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 captions don't even call her that anymore. They just call her Spider Gwen. I think it's just to um, I don't know, maybe uh, Gage just wanted to shoehorn in the name. Yeah, um, it's a. Uh... I don't know if it is, again, even if it was, if it is his decision, if he was sort of just told to fit a moment like that into here. Um, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really align and, and on it, it doesn't feel earned in the same way that Ghost Spider feels earned in the main Spider-Gwen comic. And I do think a lot of people's introduction to the Ghost Spider name was here. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but I do think it's, it's sort of made people look at it as a cheaper thing. Like, if if your introduction to Ghost Spider was because you read Spider-Geddon and there's this random moment where Gwen decides to be called Ghost Spider, I, does that help or hinder that name being pushed out ac- across the board here? I guess you could say that um, you can take into mind that um, from Miles, it's just partial inspiration going behind her reasoning to call herself Ghost Spider in Impossible Year. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's it, I I could see that argument being made. Yeah, that would make sense. But I want to talk about that little moment where um the place was about to self-destruct but before um Otto said that he could do it, uh, Gwen asked him if he had a self-destruct and then when Otto was boasting about his superiority, she just yells at him like just answer the question and then very calmly he's like, "Of course I do." <laughs> It's funny that yeah no I that whole scene was quite interesting. Honestly, that is probably one of my favorite comic moments. Is this whole scene where they they burst in on Otto and the whole scene just escalates and escalates and escalates. I love all of that and all of the friction. There's lots of characters making lots of small decisions, which are well, I say big decisions even that are really interesting. And lots of arguments. There's so much stuff going off, and you feel tense, like you can feel things going wrong. Um, and I, I love the suspense. This is, this is the thing I've noticed with a lot of event books is they start out really strong um, and they can't maintain that energy up to the fifth issue. They just end up bringing in Captain Universe. Um, 
like no Captain Universe like only comes once a year whenever there's some sort of world ending threat mm-hmm. and then just leaves. Right. He is the formalized Deuce Ex Machina for Marvel events at this point. After King and Black and Spider-Geddon doing exactly the same thing with Captain Universe. I, 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 it's mad to me. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I am, uh, y- you know, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess in um well in King and Black's case, it kind of seemed a little bit um earned because Eddie was dead during the majority of the event, and the the mystery surrounding it was who is Null's counterpart. I think in King and Black it feels earned because it looks really really cool. It looks fantastic. It looks incredible. Um, but story-wise there is this problem i've noticed with event books where they go oh they, they set up the villain slash villains right who are so strong so powerful they put all the heroes in the back foot they make everybody panic they kill off a couple of people and there's a few issues in and they go huh what's this we've discovered a thing and then the last issue that thing is a super all-powerful imbuing thing that allows them to just finish off the the villain and for me that isn't as fun i don't enjoy the deuce ex machina sort of kind of nature of that use of captain universe personally but does it help that it only comes like once a year like in universe I, I guess like the infrequent use of it, but but even to have it happen two or three times to me seems like a lot. Like the fact that it's not even a different thing that they're bringing in, the fact that it's the same all-powerful super weapon that they are deferring to to win these uh, big fights, to me, seems um off and and even the book itself seems critical of this fact at one point they actually do call captain universe they call the enigma force a deuce ex machina at one point in this book along with um the other and all of these other titles right that that these characters will end up with that means they get super 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 strong for a temporary period so that they can fight this super strong threat before this super strength leaves them um and they can go back to their original status quo but at least this time, you know, the other, it remained completely absent for this event. It was just only at the end of number five where it's shown that, like, the other has chosen the deceased Peter 982 to be its next host and then revived yes. him. Exactly. No, so that means goatee Peter Parker is coming back. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'd, but, but has that been elaborated on? Has that been continued at any point since? Nope. Right. Also, has the has the uh, Spider Man Norman Osborn has that been picked up? Yeah, if you read Christos Gage's uh, Superior Spider Man run, the one that lasted for twelve issues, Spider Norman pops up again. I didn't read the whole run; like I only read um the first two issues, but I've been meaning to read the rest of it. I might read that actually. I enjoyed Superior Octopus. I enjoyed this. I, I think I think I'd read that. Yeah, because Spider Norman is the reason why Ock is back to his villainous self. No, okay, I'm not reading it. I'm upset again. No, um, I, <laughs> I um, I know, no, I do. I am intrigued. Spider Norman is interesting. That's a really, it's a crazy looking character design. If you look that up, Spider Man Norman Osborn on Google, that if, if it's 
It's a mad looking design. Yeah, he's got six arms and like his head, like that's not even like a real spider head. If you read Edge of Spider Get in number four, it's just a helmet. And then um, I don't know if it's a mask or if he just has a gray, a gray um, lower face half. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he's all out of whack. He's he's uh he's been i've just been through i need to read the edge of spider get and stuff actually still i'm i'm interested there's some there's some stuff going on in those issues i've read spider's man i think but the other ones i haven't read so i'm i'm i mean i mean i've been meaning to read those but you know um it seems like a constant in the multiverse well not including earth 65 because that norman is harmless (laughs) all norman osborns are bad dudes well, right, because they are CEO billionaires, and as we know, every CEO billionaire is always bad, is always bad because of the nature of being a billionaire CEO. So, because his plan was to isolate Earth six one six, just so the inheritors won't get through the rest of the multiverse, and I kind of get that plan, but it's still mass casualties. But he thinks, you know, you sacrifice one for the good of many. Mm. I honestly, it seemed really evil when you read it at first because it's 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 Spider-Man Norman Osborn conferring with um, Spider's man who's always talking about eating people, right? Like it's these two talking about it. So you think, ah oh, man, that is so evil. And you think about it for a second, you're like, it's not the most impractical idea, like the idea of quarantining Earth 616 because it keeps spawning awful, terrible villains that are trying to de- destroy the multiverse isn't the most psychopath idea that the book seems to want you to think it is. Um, but at the same time, the secretive nature they're going about it, the fact that they're doing it by destroying, you know, the multiverse's, you know, basic infrastructure, um, it obviously makes it wrong. But the idea in of itself, like the thought isn't wrong, especially as a, like a temporary solution. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was a bit, a bit thrown by, the like they were like this is you're reading it you're like are they going to say the most evil thing possible and he's like what what if we just stopped people from being to go to and from earth 616 what if we just locked it down that's not a bad idea but remember that he inflates his ego by saying that he likes the sound of um savior of infinite earths minus one yeah i thought it was really funny actually um yeah that lined up quite well but I think that's the mindset of a billionaire CEO who has spider powers and is just a bad dude in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, he's a bad dude. Interesting character. I'll have to read that spider again one. So should we read up on his rival, uh, Superior Auk? Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, as I've said a couple of times, I, I love Superior Auk in, in this. It's fun. It's cool. Um Obviously, he's wrong. He's, like, really into, like, executing the inheritors. Like, he's a big believer. The the big ideological debate, debate right, among the spiders in Spider-Geddon, right, is do, do they or do they not kill the inheritors, right? Because, obviously, you know, killing people, not great. It's kind of bad. Not really a spider-person's vibe. But at the same time, the inheritors are going around being a very actively hostile threat and are very, very difficult to contain in any kind of humane conditions. So this is the sort of dilemma for the spider people. Um, And obviously Otto is more than willing to kill people if he believes that it will 
you know, if there's a significant enough trade-off to warrant it. Like, right at the start of the book, they set up this interaction with him and Nefaria, where he's um, threatening to kill Nefaria's children to make Count Nefaria leave San Francisco, right? That's how he wins that fight, which to me is, it's, it's, it's a lot. Oh, yeah, and I just want to mention about um, what is it with heroes relocating to San Francisco? Like um, there's nothing bad about San Francisco. I have family there, but it seems so um constant that San Francisco seems to be where most heroes relocate. Like famously, Venom had a stint there. Ock mm-hmm. even mentioned Daredevil, Jess. Um, even in the MCU, that's where Ant Man and the Shang Chi live. Yeah. It's um yeah. Uh, what what is it with that? That is interesting. To be fair, like we can't criticize San Francisco too much, given how many heroes choose to stay in New York of all places. But I think it's the lack of heroes in California. Yeah, it's really funny when you like see people fighting in a Marvel comic book, and you look in the background, and you go, "Wait, not every building is a skyscraper. Only some of them are. Where on earth is this? How do they get around?" So I'm guessing maybe they just like the view of the Bay Area. Maybe, maybe. I mean, if they can afford the housing, then they, they're set. They're having a good time with it. Um, yeah, and and so Ock is living there now. He has uh, a cover company uh, for his headquarters called Auto Empire, which is funny. And he's running about in the proto-clone body, right? We should clarify that. Yeah, he changed his name to Elliot Tolliver just so it won't arouse suspicion. Right. So, as we read at the end of Clone Conspiracy, obviously Ben manages to survive and he goes off and he becomes Scarlet Spider again, uh, as we see in this event, as we sort of saw at the end of Clone Conspiracy. But also, it was hinted at that Ark managed to escape in the proto-clone body, which he does and did, and like you say, he's he's you know he's running about now, and he has a cool outfit with arms coming off it. Uh, he did briefly try to take over Parker Industries when America fell to Hydra, um, failed at it. But he did manage to save Aunt May when the Red Goblin or the Goblin Child, well, both of them came after her because he still did have feelings for Aunt May, so he decided to save her. Yeah, I love that moment. Um, Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, So yeah, he's sort of been back and active, and and this is his new thing. His new leaf is he operates as a sort of spider-powered robotic arm-using vigilante in San Francisco. Um, and that lasts about as long as eight pages before he goes back to being superior Spider-Man in, in, in Spider-Geddon anyway, um, because he gets all his arms pulled off him, which is tragic, frankly. Um, and it's sort of all of his fault as well. Yeah, it seems like, you know, for a smart guy, Otto really is a dumbass just because like, he didn't notice that the inheritors hacked his tech until Octavia was the one who pointed it out to him. Like, she's the only person that Ock will actually listen to. Yeah, in this actually, I, I quite like the rapport that they established between the two octopi. Um, I like that they have a lot of sort of moments where they're talking and working together um and 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 how that sort of goes from them being like on opposite sides of the start to them like teaming up and stuff yeah i think it's because of both of them being um well octopi and you know and octavia even mentions that otto is the first um otto octavius who's just like her who wants to help people so i'm thinking 
when she was trapped in that room with the other Octavius variants back in Electroverse, like neither one of them were like her. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's it, honestly this is like six one six arc is the closest to her probably, which is interesting. At least it's not a Loki Sylvie situation, since for one thing, you know Octavia it has to be at least half of Ox's real age. Oh yeah, um, and, and also like yeah, they they're really close, like they're in terms of um like their names and stuff in that sense, like and visually, um, yeah, they didn't yeah, but but yeah, it's it's a sort of they have an interesting uh sort of allyship and 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 like otto's problem i think is that too often he mistakes cruelty for pragmatism um he will assume that like the sharpest method of solving something is like the most efficient method and a lot of the time he ends up accidentally spilling blood or or like providing the means for like blood to be spilled as we see here in spider-geddon Last time, the disaster that he almost did accidentally was kickstarting the carry-on virus. Yeah, he kickstarted the carry-on virus and cloned conspiracy. He caused the radioactive event on the planet that um, the inheritors were trapped on. Um, the, although technically there's an alternate arc. But yeah, like he, a lot of the time he's doing stuff where he's like, yeah, this is the most efficient, this is the most analytical, cold way. And he's just being mean. Like he's that's literally what it is. Like he's just being mean. And he's really, really keen to just execute the inheritors. He's just completely done with any other method that that sort of accommodates not executing the inheritors so he stops working with the other spiders and he starts on bringing on board his own team members he recruits differently and this is juxtaposed against miles who who doesn't want to execute the inheritors um and is quite happy to sort of like just recruit a nice friendly spider team yeah should we talk more about miles yeah since he's the one who's running the show yeah, he does. He gets lots to do. Like, he's like, what, like a 15, like a 16, 17 year old is running most of the admin here um, for the, the, the primary spider group. I guess he's 17 just because, you know, since um, Saladin Ahmed took over his run, he celebrated his 18th birthday. Right. Yes, I saw that. So, yeah, he's he's doing that. And he sort of steps into the role here uh, with Peter and Otto absence. Um, and and he he's generally trying to uh, form. He, he's big on recruitment. He's bringing it. He's big on bringing on as many people as he can and building up like teammates but he's not as good i guess they they i guess this is to sort of give otto a couple of points he's not as good at the planning stages and on a couple of occasions like he'll plan something and it will go wrong um and he beats himself up about it although eventually uh, it does pay off with captain universe i like that speech that he gave to uh, captain universe because while everyone was just um doing oh woe is me he was like up yours what do you mean about wordiness this is the thing, like, Miles is very, like, preemptively occupied with everybody's well-being. Like, he's not going to allow his, uh, his his sort of concern over ego and stuff to allow him to, like, not be able to do things. Which is also why he is able to form a new alliance with Ark towards the end. Like, he's able to do that because he's able to put aside, like, the argument and put aside, like 
all of these other things and concerns about him as an individual and realize that for the greater whole, he has to be responsible and, and, and exercise that power responsibly. And I think that's in great contrast to what Pete did in Spider-Geddon where he just punched Ock out. Right. It feels like a reply to how Spider-Verse is like, we should decide things with fights and martial duels. That's how we should decide who our leaders are. Whereas in this, it's like the people, when they do lead, it's because they're the ones doing the recruiting. It's the because they're the ones doing like the work to build friendships that's why they end up in those positions. I don't, I don't think they necessarily need to have set leaders quite like they do here. But to me, that seems much less ideologically like conservative than what like the Spider-Verse sort of take on it was. Because I think like the factions this time, it's mostly a taking side situation rather than electing a leader because, you know, Miles and Otto have this difference. And then the spiders just took sides based on what aligned with their beliefs more. Yeah, that was an interesting sort of line to draw through the lot of them. Although I think I think a couple of them like were kind of just taken in with Superior Spider-Man, like they hadn't met the other side, so they didn't really know. Like um, yeah, like um, Insomniac Spidey, like he just took auto stuff at face value. Yeah, he did. He didn't. He didn't have the chance to like meet Miles and compare and contrast. He can't. He gets picked up by Superior Spider, who reckons he's a decent fit. And so we have, yeah, we have PS4 Spider-Man in this book. Uh, and he gets a lot of speaking roles. He gets involved in a lot of fights. He gets most of Spider-Geddon number zero. Um, the bits drawn by Clayton Crane. It's interesting character. Because this yeah. is my introduction to this Peter Parker. I haven't played the game because uh, they get to port it to PC. So <laughs> this, is my, this is all my knowledge. But if they made a Ghost Spider game for PS5, would you just buy it? just to play that game oh yeah i'd do it for gwen absolutely i'd do it for gwen um wouldn't do it for literally anything else wouldn't do it for anybody else but for gwen i would um but yeah so i i'm, I'm kind of stuck not really knowing too much about peter parker ps4 but we have here uh another peter parker on the team um and he's got a white spider logo instead of a black spider logo so he's really easy to spot on the page and other characterizations presumably yeah like for example he's more reliant on uh, technology this time around well mostly because he has doc ock's backing well the doc ock from his reality anyway since he was his intern right gotcha yeah i noticed he's using like different what felt like gamified moves like he's like this is my web bomb this is my this is my uh different things got this is my heads up display and my lenses and then there's like taser webbings i'm not surprised that he didn't put down and up up down down left right a b that's the little konami code for you right right exactly so it's quite funny yeah, no, it's interesting. If you like uh, Peter Parker in Spider-Man PS4, you enjoy the story there. There were a couple of moments where they kind of uh, they have him contemplate sort of the fate of his Doctor Octopus, um, which I think felt meaningful, but without any of the context, didn't mean that much to me. But if you are interested in that, there is there is some interesting bits with that in Spider uh, Spider-Man Number Zero that are worth looking at. And there are also more adventures following Insomniac Spidey in the comics world. There's um City at War, which is actually just a retelling of the game in comic format, but condensed. But then uh, there's the uh, sequel, Velocity. Gotcha, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 
Yeah, there's, there's, they've done quite a few tie-ins now, then, I guess. Did I see there was a Black Cat one? Um, I'm not sure if that was in Velocity or if that was um the DLC or a different comic, but anyway, um, I need to see what Dennis Hallam, uh, if he did anything after that, because Dennis Hallam did write those two ser- miniseries. Gotcha, gotcha. That's um yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I I think there's there's definitely a really meaningful attempt to try and flesh out that universe. Like it feels like Insomniac are aware that they have their own unique bit of creative sandbox to work with, um, and they're keen to capitalize on that. Which you know I enjoy a nice sort of consistent, coherent approach to storytelling uh, instead of a sort of messy one. Um, which which it feels like they're really thinking about which entry in their universe means what and that, which is fun. But I feel like if they wanted to introduce Gwen into the Insomniac games, it probably can't be with dimensional travel because, you know, Miles is in the same universe as Pete. And um, I guess they could do it in uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2, the one coming next year, but make her introduction make sense, like she could be a new student or something. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I personally I I prefer an interdimensional introduction to any spider-powered Gwen character. I think it's important for her character to work is that she is the ghost, right? Yeah, I think it's only because um cuz to our knowledge, the Gwen of the Insomniac verse hasn't either been seen nor mentioned. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. I guess we'll see how it's done. Who else is on the list? Uh, ben Riley. We get the return of Ben Riley. Ben Riley's back, right? Okay, and he's had a solo run in between Clone Conspiracy and now, and he's no longer insane. He's no longer like trying to form an elaborate conspiracy to resurrect people, and he's no longer killing the entire planet and bringing them back as clones. He's no longer doing that. I think um filling in the gap is supposed to be uh Peter David's run where he was in Vegas along with Kane. I guess that's supposed to uh give him some characterization as to why he's not crazy anymore. Uh yeah, like I think a lot of it's now is sort of like, you know, haven't you had a really bad week where you became really, really insane and became a supervillain, haven't you? Like that's sort of kind of the vibe you get. Like people are like, Hey, weren't you like evil? Like, weren't you, like, fighting me last week? Like, no. no. I mean, like, haven't you... Haven't you... T- like, this... You tried dying 27 times. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and um, I think it's sort of, like... It's strange to me that there is such a left-field turn. But obviously, it has to it has to happen because it was so bad. It was already a left-field turn for him to be evil in the first place, I think, to that extent. Um but there are some moments in this where it's like you, you, you're kind of taking the weight of it in. I think the moments where he's interacting with uh, Doc Ock, given the fact that like the last time they spoke, um, they were both like destroying the entire world, trying to kill the other. Um, you can see why they are so angsty when they talk to each other. But I guess it's because, you know, the inheritors is the uh, larger evil that they have to put their differences aside just to begrudgingly work together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, which I guess sort of happens across the board is that everybody who does have an ideological difference with the exception of Norman and Spider-Man, they compromise, right? Yeah. They come up with a baby solution. Yeah. Like turn the inheritors into normal little human babies just so, um, they won't grow up to be uh, jackasses. 
Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I have an issue with that in the, I mean, outside of the whole clone discussion, which we've been into uh, in clone conspiracy episodes, is that to me, if you're wiping their memories, is that the same person? Have you killed that person by completely wiping their memories and putting them in a new body? Because like, what is it that you're carrying over at that point? Um, I think it's more like a brainwashing at this point, maybe um, before, they, um, before they put them into the baby bodies. Uh, they just completely wipe their brains and then, yeah, just yeah. put them in a new body. Yeah, because to me that feels, that's, that's going to be like a death of sorts, right? Like if somebody wiped my brain right now, put me in a baby body, for me, I don't have any continuity with whoever that new person is. I don't, I don't, you know, I for me that would be death, right? Like, so I... I because clearly, and you see it at the end, Miles is still really quite uncomfortable with what they ended up doing. Uh, Pete's like, this is the only way we could have gone. And Otto's like, yeah, this is good. This is good. Obviously, killing them would have been okay, but this is good as well. Um, and you can sort of see like it's a compromise made where they were like really trying to get around not executing these people who are extremely dangerous. So it's a very drastic rehabilitation because I think that's the fine line between sparing someone and then wanting to kill them. Yeah, and, and honestly, I would have preferred maybe an ending because because obviously the, the key problem here is the fact that they hunger. They f- figured out a way to fix that they hunger, but they didn't have to bring them back in baby bodies. They didn't have to brainwash them. They didn't have to do all They could literally just brought them back without the hunger. And what are they going to do then? They're not going to eat people. They're going to go and have like f- normal food. They're going to eat like, you know, normal non-spider people food like when they eat animal totems they mean kfc they don't mean <laughs> a spider person you know um yeah I, I don't know like that that's sort of what would have made more sense but this way it seems really dark although the whole thing with spider-man is cute and even earlier with um when they transferred them into new bodies so i'm guessing like did they ditch their old bodies back in 3145 and and those bodies are just brain dead yeah, I, I'm. Is there an actual like side issue somewhere which actually covers the connective tissue between that ending in Spider Geddon number zero and Spider Geddon one? I I don't think there is, because because it's clear they used the robots to establish a link to their tech, which obviously does work across the multiverse. We know that. Wait, I think there is a small B story in um, Superior Octopus number one. I forgot who wrote it, but. Um, Mark Bagley drew it and it explained that, um, like basically what Gwen said in issue number one of Spider Geddon that someone's using inheritor tech to come back. Yeah, I thought I thought as much. I thought as much. So I'm I I got that. Yeah, you sort of get that impression from it. Um, but yeah, what was the initial point we we're making here? I think uh, how convoluted cloning is. Yeah, I'm. I'm still not a fan of the cloning stuff. I I don't like the whole like they 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 comment on it a bit more here. Like they're, they're thinking a bit more about the world building of it because at this point they have two different cloning things that they're drawing from. But it does feel like a lot, and you know, I just I do think Spider-Man stories really should just steer away from cloning because they don't have the philosophical chops really to engage with the stuff that they're basically saying about these think people at points it's yeah they don't have the time for it really but it's kind of like what i said last time if i don't see another clone story um related to the spider family or peter parker in particular 
it's going to be too soon. Yeah. Yeah. No more clones. No more clone stories. Except for maybe that one time in Miles Morales recently, but no more clone stories than that. Are you just going to type nonsense, a bunch of sob emojis, and then more nonsense if uh, our girl got a clone story? Well, she doesn't. She's this character is already a sort of clone. I I don't think we need another. It's it's it's, it's too much. It's too much. Um, good. We're, we're we're all right with what we have. Whatever gets me my Gwanda. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Your Gwanda agenda. Your very specific agenda to have a moment where Gwen calls herself Gwanda. So it's a mirror moments the Into the Spider Verse film. Yeah, but um, going back to the inheritors, like. Did you find it a little bit interesting how um it, they can feed on anything except for uh radioactive spider people and symbiotes? Right. The, it was weird to me how they did this because it sort of felt like they were making up reasons. They definitely could have absorbed Gwen's life force given the time, I think. But the thing with Jess that really confused me is that are not most spider people radioactive? Like... Are they not, is it not a radioactive spider bite or mutation in most cases? And how does that pan out? Because surely that's got to give them at least indigestion, given their weakness So for, for radioactivity. And like Jessica obviously has an extra sort of like, she has a whole other medical side to her origin, which I guess skews it. Um, they were like, she, she has an extra radioactive immunity, which is fine. I guess that makes sense. Because uh, she was experimented on, if I remember correctly, right? With radiation? Yeah. Uh, her parents were or weren't Hydra or were or weren't S.H.I.E.L.D. And they did or didn't do... I, I've, I've read the recent run and I still don't know which plotline is canonical now. But anyway, uh, she got zapped with radioactive array thing that also contained spider DNA, which gave her her unique set of spider powers. Um, and this is like when she is still in the womb, if I'm correct. And then they still had to medicate her when she grew up. But it was a whole thing. It's a really... Com- it's, she has one of the messiest origins... I, especially now i i can't it's too late now I, my brain isn't remembering it all i think it was um saren who mentioned that she's more spider than she is woman yeah which is which sounds absolutely crazy i that sounds they, they they should do something with that um but yeah like she's she has a very different vibe and i guess the the that when the inheritors went to do that, they were like, oh no, oh no, we can't absorb Jessica's life force. She has bad vibes. And that's what happened there. And that's my explanation of the reason that they couldn't absorb Jess's life force. But I think in Gwen's case, just because of her Venom symbiote, it seems like that the inheritors are unfamiliar with uh, absorbing symbiotes, or it's just that cases where if you try to bite the food, it's going to bite back. I think, honestly, that is what happens a lot, right? Like, they rely on... You see most of the kills that they get are, like, sudden surprise attacks, or they have somebody dead to rights. Like, they have somebody solo, um, and they can do that. But, by and large, if you're in the middle of a fight, it's really difficult to do the full life force thing. Especially, it it gets drawn out, I think, by the writers for dramatic tension. But it takes them a while for it to work. 
Um, and so if you're if if there's like a bomb ticking down, or if you're fighting other spider people as well, then it becomes too complicated, um, and to to like it's just logistically difficult. So it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, I guess it's just because of um, like I don't know what's in Crystal Gage's head, but he really did have some good writing here. Yeah, I think it worked out. Um, I think I think it was I think it was yeah. This is a good event. I enjoyed it solid the art is very good it carries it pretty well um and the character moments feel meaningful which i think is the important part because they get the character beats right here um and they get the spider vibes right um it sort of kind of all works it either it all sort of comes together and it's fine and i I, it doesn't feel perhaps as ambitious as the name or perhaps the original pitches for this event might have indicated. I remember Sean and Maguire mentioning that they, they plan to kill off a lot more people than just uh, Spider UK and Spider Noir and Khan. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things, I guess. Yeah, it's like for a Spider Geddon, there was a really low body count compared to Spider-Verse. Yeah, I think overall, but I do think the deaths and the, the moments for the deaths here feel more impactful, like Spider-UK going down and Spider-Noir. There was a lot of shock to those because we knew those, whereas a lot of the deaths for um, Spider-Verse weren't really, I guess, like as bigger characters. Like they hadn't had the same build-up, they hadn't had the same history like Noir and UK yeah. did. But Noir got revived later during uh, Margaret Stoll's uh, mini on the character. Yeah, Noir Noir got brought back. UK remains dead. And also, specifically for this book, they remembered UK has super strength. um, And they have him use it a couple of times just to make it seem more shocking uh, when he does eventually die a few pages later. Remember when Gwen said that sometimes she forgets that he's supposed to be Spider-Man and Captain Britain put together? Literally, I think that is the case for all of the Spider-UK writing that we've seen. Um, the writers also forgot this and just have him punch like a regular spider person. But in this, they even have him drawn differently. Like Jorge Molina's drawing Spider UK is being really like buff and like really like built compared to the other spiders, and he's just just tearing through stuff. And then he gets his neck snapped, and that's the end of that. Because uh, yeah, since he was drawn like really really buff, I'm thinking, um, did he spend his extra time trying to uh, build up beef in between? Uh, what was the uh, last arc of Web Warriors called? Uh, Spiders versus, and then Spider Geddon. Yeah, visually he looks different. I I don't know if that's the case or if again it's just uh, like they want to emphasize the shock of his death, so they're they're bigging him up literally. Uh, but I'm not complaining too much. I I mean he yeah he looks yeah. But yeah, he looked it's ripped. Not a bad look. <laughs> yeah, he looked good. Yeah, the next time that we saw him was when uh, Maezawa drew him in. Uh, Spider going Ghost Spider number four. He's no longer ripped. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Could have been a ripped ghost, but he wasn't a ripped ghost. Um, alas. Now, because he was just a ghost in my Zawa's drawings, right? Either a ghost or just um, you know, a uh, Gwen's hallucination of him. Because remember, Gwen tends to hallucinate a lot. She does. That is on Gwen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's sort of my final thoughts on it. At least I think I threw them in there somewhere. Um, I don't know if you have any more yourself. Oh yeah, I felt like this was more spider moment focused than Spider Verse because whereas there was a lot of infighting, uh, in Spider Verse, well, I guess there is a lot of infighting in Spider Geddon too. But you know, eventually the two learn how to compromise, and I like that. Because it shows that, you know, if you want to function properly as a team, 
you know, you gotta bend to each other's uh, requests uh, just so you can take out the enemy at the end. And then, like, oh, with the art too, I love that it's very animated. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good art. And also, you know, we got to see, like, more spiders who didn't even participate in the original Spider-Verse, mostly just because um, they weren't conceived yet. But I like how we got... Uh, for example, the Renew Your Vows spiders, because I actually read the entirety of Renew Your Vows volumes one and two. Um, I also read the entire, you know, Edge of Spider Geddon. I got to see the spiders from those. And then they even made up some new ones. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun spiders in this. Yeah, even a little cameo from uh, Spider Cop, well, just in a photograph, and uh, at the end when Gwen brings the rest of the army in, and there's also a Spider-Man who looks suspiciously like the MCU Pete. Wait, really? Yeah, when Gwen brings in the rest of the army. I missed that. I'll have to look. I'll have to, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna look I'm gonna look at it again. But yeah, it's just right there. It suspiciously looks like MCU Pete just because of the uh, extra black lines on his costume. Oh yeah, you're right. He has the same logo. Yeah, so I'm thinking, canonically, did MCU Pete participate in Spider-Geddon? Like, or is this just an Easter egg because uh, in No Way Home, he was fascinated about the concept of the multiverse? Yeah, he was pretty new to it back then. I don't. I think maybe they 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 like to think that MCUP is in this, but I don't think they can get him for that. No, like even in the scene when they were dogpiling onto the inheritors, there were a lot of other spiders that you could point out. Like I saw Spider Man Unlimited from that um, ninety nine cartoon. Um, there was also Spirit Spider, and maybe Andrew Garfield Spider, the one of the with the one in the ASM number one eyes, but. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, there's a lot of characters in the background here. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, yep, loved Spider-Geddon. I don't see how they can top another Spider-Verse-related event like this one. But unless if it's a Gwen Run show this time. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been good. Are we, uh, are we wrapping up now then? Yep, so I guess we are. So does that mean um, I'm going to describe what's happening in the next episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so uh, next episode, like we mentioned at the beginning, we're starting to rip off the first Band-Aid by reading part one of three of our Last Remains read-through. Crying, shaking, throwing up. <laughs> so the issues that we're going to be covering for that episode are Nick Spencer's 2018 Amazing Spider-Man number 48 to 50, number 50 LR, and uh, the tie-in The Sins of Norman Osborn number one. But the order that we're going to be, that it actually goes in is uh, 48, and then Sins of Norman Osborn number 49, number 50, and then 50 LR. Yes, right. Yeah, uh, it's... It it's it makes sense once you get to reading it. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm excited. I actually collected this in single issues back when it was coming out, so I'm interested to dig those out. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll see you all uh, next week. Then, I guess. Yeah. And but before um, the reading order for this, it actually goes in between Party People and King in Black. So it's just to give you context. Yeah. So this is yeah this is post Maguire's I guess initial run there um, yeah it's it's a uh, it's that limbo period 
where uh, Gwen is is in exile on 616. So, as always, we'll put the links in the description of where to buy and to read it and the reading list. We do this as a book club, so if you wanted to send in your thoughts of uh, this section of Last Remains, uh, you can email us at ghostspidergroupies at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at gsgroupies. We also have a coffee page if you want to chuck in a few bucks to help us pay for the uh, podcast distribution fees that would be much appreciated yeah yes please thank you very much all right thanks everyone i've been abigail and i've been pax bye everybody bye